The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we're thankful that you have made us yours. You've done that by grace, by undeserved favor, blessing. And we stand now in that grace, forgiven, received, loved. And we ask then for more grace that you would this morning teach us, that you would open up your word, grow us up, draw us to you. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done and for what you will do. We look to you now to provide for us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned a businessman whose steady income from time to time was augmented by an unusually large earning of some sort. And the point I made back then was that as that happened, he came to see God's hand in that, pro- providing that sort of thing for him, and came to look for and to pray for God's leading, God's purpose for it. Or to use the language from last week's passage in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10, he would think like, if God has suddenly provided this seed for me, I'm a sower, if he's provided this seed for me, multiplied it, well, I want to sow bountifully so as to reach, so as to, to receive bountifully. So where's the field? Where does it go, Lord? Show me. He would, he would think like that. I mentioned that before. Well, he told me that, actually, in the context of telling me how he and his wife had decided to give to us a bountiful gift. This is about 20 years ago or so, and I was a full-time seminary student at the time with a whole bunch going on, and suffice it to say, we had a lot of needs. And then out of the clear blue sky, we did not live around one another, we did not talk very often, he called me up and explained to me, I came into some money, and the Lord laid it on our hearts to do this, that, and the other for you. And It was a great blessing. It relieved a bunch of need for us. We were deeply affected by it, as you can guess. But the story's not really about us. It's more about him, that, that couple, the people who lived on the hunt, looking for some field into which they might sow. It's about them. Actually, no, it's about their God, our God, the one who provided the seed for them, who pointed out the field, and who cared for us in our particular situation, our particular need, and connected the two things. All the praise and all the glory goes to him because he did all that by grace. He's honored. He's praised. And that couple is delightfully blessed. And our needs are met. It's a win-win-win situation. A sweet thing to be a part of. And that's what we're going to see in our passage here at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The last few weeks or so, we've been moving through 8 and 9, a section in which Paul's been talking about giving in a particular context. He's been collecting money, as we've said, for the sake of meeting some of the needs of Christians who lived in and around Jerusalem. He's going to take money back there to 
to provide for them. And, and in that process, we saw him last week address this idea of, of cheerful giving, of being one who gives cheerfully, willingly, generously, who gives in love, who gives from faith, knowing and believing that God's the one who provides for us and then through us gives in love to us and in love to others, passes it on to meet the needs of others. He gives us bread for food also, but seed for sowing. We're trusting him and we give. That, that's how God moves us to give, by supplying for us and making us aware of that and calling us to trust him in love. So this morning we pick up there. We're going to overlap just a little bit with what we did last week. And we're going to pick up there and finish off this section, chapters 8 and 9 seeing in it how God has designed this whole situation to be a blessing. By this point, we kind of understand, or it's assumed that we understand, what this Christ-like giving looks like. Generous, willing, in love and in faith, according to your means. We kind of understand that, and now the focus is on the effect of it. What happens? And that effect, if we think about it and understand it, should be a motivation for us to, to want to step into this and, and be a part of this threefold win situation. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me read verses 10 to 15 of chapter 9 and then draw two observations from it. 2 Corinthians 9, beginning of verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, it will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. 2 Corinthians 9. Two observations and here's the first. Christ-like giving provides individual blessing and corporate unity to God's people. Christ-like giving provides individual blessing and corporate unity to God's people. So we're talking about this, this Christ-like giving and we're focusing on effect and first, the positive effects on people that come about between both giver and recipient within the church. Now, in some ways, this, this, some of these blessings can in different ways happen between anybody, between any two people who give to one another, or between a Christian as, as we give to those who are not Christians around us, which we should do. But the focus all throughout this has been on Christians giving to the needs of the kingdom. And so we should think about that well and pursue it well because it, it is a model and it's an invitation to others who are outside kind of watching. It's, it's a model and an invitation to say, look what a generous Christ-like community looks like. 
You can be a part of this. Come. This kind of, of humanity is found best in Christ. Come and be a part of it. So we model that and we invite others to it. So let's, let's think about this so we can do that well. Look what he tells us. Last week we looked at verse 10. You can't outgive God. He continues to provide seed for sowing. He'll multiply that and he'll give us bread for food, meeting our own needs, bread to eat, both. In fact, now verse 11, you will be enriched in every way for your generosity. Made rich, enriched. Abundantly, bountifully blessed in all kinds of ways. And surely in the context we should think, Seed and bread and fruit. Seed, you'll be enriched with more to, more to give. Bread, you'll, you'll eat, you'll be provided for. And fruit, the, the effect of it, you'll, there'll be more and more of that now and crown for eternity. You'll be enriched in, in every way. He's just saying the same sort of thing he was saying several times before. But if you step kind of back from the details of trying to figure out what exactly does he mean by enriched, step back from that. What's the general point he's making? This is a win for you. That's the general point. When you give like this, it's a win. And he has to tell us that because we tend to think in, in terms of a balance sheet. If, if I add something over here, if I put something over here, I had to take it away from over here so that it balances out. And if I give, plus one over here means minus one over here. I send it downstream and it's gone and I'm, I'm minus one. Or maybe what you tell me, maybe I believe this, maybe, that if I send it downstream, more comes in and so I end up basically static, flat. I'm a zero. Okay, feels a little bit risky, but maybe I'm a minus one, maybe I'm a zero. And this passage, Paul, God is saying, kind of poking that, no, that's not true. You don't end up broke, minus one. You don't even end up flat at zero. You end up positive, enriched, plus one or two or three. Materially, spiritually, emotionally, interpersonally. We'll talk about that in a little bit. In, in every way, that's, which is really broad. In every way is pretty broad. Enriched in every way. And that may not end up exactly how we would expect because God, I mean, God has a lot going on. He has a lot of purposes and his ways are not like ours and his timing doesn't always match ours. So I can't say it will be exactly in this way, but it will be in every way. Plus one, or two, three, four, enriched in every way. The Christian giver gets individually blessed and enriched. This is a win for us. Exactly how? I don't know. It's a win. And obviously, for the receiver, Individually blessed as real needs are met. It almost goes without saying, but verse 12 does actually say it, just so we don't miss it. He has another point he's making, but he does kind of along the way. This ministry of service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. He, don't forget that. It actually does provide the needs of the saints. 
But he has another main point, so he kind of says that in passing. This does supply need, this Christ-like giving. Now, God could just directly give to each person in need. He doesn't have to provide seed for this one to sow. He could just provide bread, 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 bread. He could do that, but he doesn't. Why not? Well, at least two reasons are in this passage. One which we have to touch on now, but we'll say more about a little bit later. But essentially, the first reason, because of what it does in us, in our view of God. This method of giving to some so that some then give, it does something inside of us. Gives us a very different view. When somebody gives to us, we of course say thank you. Everybody does. But a Christian says thank you in a little different way. A Christian says thank you in a Godward way because we know, you know, I received this, but I know who actually sent it my way. And I see something of him. I see the one who saw my need and who acted to help me in love. And it reminds us of the caring hand of God in in a different way. We are very prone to forgetfulness. And when we look at life and we see needs that we meet in the ordinary ways, I have a need and I go to work and I save and I go to the store and I spend and I buy and I provide for myself. I I am inclined to be a slightly more kind version of Bart Simpson from a long time ago. I saw an episode where Bart Simpson prayed Thanksgiving at the meal. Lord, thanks for nothing because we bought all this stuff on our own. Bart's irreligious, right? Bart's a lot like us. I did buy all this stuff on my own. I saw the need. I went to work. I saved. I went to the store. I bought it, and I met my need. And we are inclined to forget. So sometimes when we bump into it, I have a need, and I, I can't go to work and save and purchase and fix that. What is going to happen? And then someone else from somewhere else steps in and meets it. We are reminded of the God who stands over us and addresses our lives, who in care sees and acts. That's a good thing for us. And in this this way of giving and receiving, we are reminded, blessed. It's a win for us to receive. Say more about thankfulness towards God in the second point, but we need to touch on that now because it's, it's applicable right here. But secondly, we should think about verse 14. Christians in Jerusalem and Judea are going to come out the other side of this with a different perspective and in a different posture towards Christians way over there in Macedonia and way over there in Corinth. They'll thank God, sure. He's the one who provided. They'll know that. And it says, they'll long for you and pray for you. You Corinthians, it means. A relational bond gets built between these two parties, giver and receiver. Corinthian, Macedonian, 
Jerusalemite, Judean. A relational bond gets built as they, in, in a different way, see one another. Because of what we talked about last week, how giving is, is an expression of love, the recipient loved loves. Given to, cares for, and sees. Hey, you're on my side. You're, you, you think about me. You love me. I'm thankful to God. It came from him. But you actually cared for me, and my heart goes out to you. You have a spot in my heart, and I lift you up in love towards God. We get cared for and prayed for. What he's saying is that the bonds of unity get built this way that tie people together beneath the God to whom we are thankful. This is brilliant on God's part. To understand that dynamic, thankful to God, it binds us together like this in, in love and in care for one another. It is brilliant because it removes one of the most destructive aspects of giving and receiving, what you might call the creation of one-up, one-down relationships. In worldly giving, and we've all experienced this, in worldly giving, this happens. Somebody becomes the benefactor, the patron. And somebody becomes the needy recipient. And when this happens, it feeds pride in the benefactor. I give for my abundance. I pull my own weight and yours too because you can't, but I can. Look. It feeds pride. And we don't need a lot of help with that. But it also, for the one on the bottom, it kind of, you've been in the spot, I, I suspect. You're kind of almost wishing they hadn't given to you because now you feel obligated to say thank you every time you see that person. You feel obligated to show your gratitude for fear that they're thinking or are going to say out loud, I did that for you and you respond that way to me. How ungrateful. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a joke in families. Parents, I mean, the joke is often about mothers. I labored 27 hours with you, and this is how you treat me? You got to be, for the whole rest of your life, grateful and thankful and subordinate. You can't ever have your own opinion or speak your own mind. You've got to be forever under. That is so distasteful that oftentimes we just say, I don't even want to receive. Don't give me anything so that I don't owe you anything owe you anything. The only way I get out of this is to give back, to make it even. And God says beautifully, sweetly, that's not how it works. When I create Christ-like giving, I create giver and recipient who both beneath me realize there's only one up, one down here. We're all down, he's up. We are all debtors to him. It all came from him. And we together realize more deeply that we are one, drawn together in love and in concern for one another, thankful towards him, but drawn together in love. He's the one that we owe all of our lives to. He's the benefactor, and he never calls us to settle the accounts because they are settled in Christ. We are free to love and give and receive. It's beautiful, it's brilliant. We can sow and we can give. It reminds us of God's care for us and it creates unity. Individually blessed as I am enriched and as my needs are met and corporately united as we are drawn together beneath God. It is a win-win situation. 
Don't you want to be a part of that? Of course. That's the effect of Christ-like giving. So step into that mindset, that heart set. With your money, of course, is what this is about, is money, but with all your resources, with, with everything that you have to give, that kind of a mindset, step into that, thoughtfully consider, if you think back through these chapters, thoughtfully consider what is the need, what do I see, and what do I want to give willingly in a way that matches my means? What do I want to give willingly? Mindful of how God in Christ gave to, gives, and will give to me. Trusting him. Loving him and loving them. What do I want to give cheerfully? And do that. And none of us will bat an eye questioning. This is between you and the Lord. That's a win-win situation as it enriches our lives, as it meets needs, as it builds the church, and as it honors God, which is the second point. Here's the second observation, another win. Christ-like giving brings thanksgiving and glory to God. Christ-like giving brings thanksgiving and and glory to God, which unavoidably we've already, we've already touched on a little bit, but now we're going to focus on it. Verse 11, the churches give, Paul administers the gift, he carries it, he passes it out, distributes it, and that produces thanksgiving to God, the verse says. Verse 12, overflows in many thanksgivings to God. Paul says it twice, that's what's going to happen. They know that it comes from him, they'll give thanks to him. There will be a, a thankfulness in heart and then an expression of that somehow to God. Thank you. Or verse 13, similar idea. They will glorify God. So three times in a row, it says similar things. The recipients will lift up their, their minds, their hearts, probably their voices, and speak to God, you are great and kind and good and powerful and wise and attentive to our needs and you are generous, thank you. Glorifying God with thanksgiving. That's the language of their prayer. That's what it says repeatedly, the effect of such giving. So why would we give thanks to God? Well, part of what we've already said, obviously, because all the seed that was sown into my life came from him. Everything we have to give was first given. And he does it so that we will sow. And as we said last week, he's looking for giving partners. And so whatever we receive from other people ultimately was given by him through them to us. It comes from him. Thanks be to God. which is emphasized even just a little bit more in this passage in a subtle way. Twice he calls this, 12 and 13, this service. And the word behind service is the word from which we get our word liturgy, which in a, a secular context 
can, does, did, means something just like performing some act of, of service, often in an orderly, structured way. But in a religious context like this one, it carries an additional idea of a priest offering up a, a sacrifice, putting something on the altar before God. That's different. Makes you think. This is subtle, but I find it helpful. And I found it helpful, again, similar to how God, God destroys those, those ugly things between us. This has been really helpful for me, particularly as a recipient. A service that is first to God means, in, in an offhanded, subtle way, that giving is not first this way, horizontal. Giving is first this way, and then this way. I'm offering to God, and God gives. So I'm changing the analogy of the river where the water kind of flows through, God gives through me to, to another. Changing the analogy, but it's the same basic idea. We give to God, and then God gives. It's coming from God. But as you're a recipient of that, you realize this is God that provided for me, actually more than you. God provided. My thanks is directed to him. And as you're the giver, you realize something of, I'm not actually giving to you. I'm giving to him. I'm making a sacrifice to him. I'm putting myself on the altar before God. More than I'm giving to you. That actually connects then to another reason that we give thanks to God for what we receive. A more important reason, I think. Verse 13 and following. God does not just provide seed and point out the field. God, by grace, changes the human heart. Changes the heart of the would-be giver and moves her to give. That's where all this ends, and if you'll recall, that's where all this started back in chapter 8, verses 1 to 5, the need for the grace of God. And right about here, I find myself, as I'm dealing with this passage, I find myself doing this sort of thing, like physically doing, hmm, hmm. Because I think, as we're going to see here in the next couple minutes, this is about giving and money. And absolutely everything else in the creation. God designed Christ-like giving to work in this way. Oh, and everything else in all of the creation works like this too. This is gigantic in verse 13. We give thanks to God because, yes, God provided the seed. If I passed on money to you, it's because God gave it to me. Yeah. And God pointed out the field. Yeah. And God in grace changed the heart. They will give thanks. They will glorify God, verse 13, because of your submission, your obedience, you could say. 
which is not submission to a specific command to give money. Paul's already made clear, I'm not commanding this. This is not a command. That's not what he means. He's talking about something much larger. Your submission to God, the putting of yourself on the altar in this liturgy, this service to him. The praise, they'll glorify God because of your submission, this offering of self as you come under his authority and rule, obeying him as Lord. This submission, where does that come from? Verse continues, which flows from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Where does it come from that my heart now belongs to him? Where does it come from that my, my life is on the altar in front of him? It comes from one's confession to the gospel of Christ. In other words, becoming a Christian. Placing faith in what God did for us in Jesus at the cross. That's what makes people submissive. That's what changes us on the inside and makes us servants of his instead of servants of ourselves. God in Christ saved us, saved you if you're a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, become one. Here's, here's the offer of God to everyone who has ears to hear. Here's the offer. I sent Christ because you need him. All of us Every single one of us, by nature, we grow up serving ourselves, not submissive to some outside authority, not submissive to God, ruled by self, after me and my way. I agree with God when he agrees with me. Otherwise, I agree with me. And I follow me and I do what I want. I am prone to wander away from him. That's my nature. And God says no. He's a righteous and holy judge and he judges that in wrath. That's our, that's our dilemma. That's our problem. And God in grace, that is undeserved favor, sent Christ to provide alternative payment. Instead of me, Jesus. Instead of wrath poured on me, wrath poured on Jesus. Instead of my judgment, judgment on Jesus. That's what's going on at the cross. Christ judged in my place. For all who trust him and him alone. He sent Jesus graciously, generously, kindly, in love to save me, to save you if you trust him to save us from wrath, to save us from punishment, and to save us from ourselves. To save us from our lostness and folly and selfishness, the effects of sin. He showed himself willing and able to undo our greed, to undo our tendency to trust ourselves and to love money and what it can do for us. He stepped in and saved us from our tendency to exploit when we can and ignore when it's convenient and hoard for our own peace of mind to protect ourselves. 
He can did that. Did, he can do that, and he did that. He broke the hold of human nature. We sang about it several times this morning. This bondage to sin, the bonds, the yoke—all those words are about what sin has on us, and he broke off of us. He saved us from wrath, and saved us from that bondage, and saved us to a newness of life. He did all of that by pouring grace onto us, undeserved favor into us, by giving to us the inexpressible gift, Jesus. He's the one to be thanked and praised. For he's the one who did all of that, starting first in our hearts. If I sow any seed, yeah, God gave the seed and God pointed out the field. But before that, more beautifully than that, God worked so as to give me a heart that wanted to, a new heart, a different heart, to change. And that is so beautiful. Every bit of the Christ-like giving that we've been talking about, all of it is driven by God who first loved us and showered us in grace and set us free, who clothed us in himself, in Jesus who sent him who was rich and became poor on our behalf that our lives might be deeply in every way enriched and that all of our needs might be met. God did that first for us. Verse 13 just goes boom to the Christian life. Boom to life. Because God did that for us not only in, in the realm of financial dealings, but did that for us in every way possible. That's what the purpose of setting up Christ-like giving is like. That's what the purpose of setting up the creation is like. Everything that God did is for the sake of drawing out from us thanksgiving and glory for the grace that he gave to us to make us new and set us free. It's all a piece of the same cloth. This goes huge in talking about what we do with our money. It goes to, to God and God's purposes and our, our posture before him and beneath him. This is the very same way Paul started back in chapter 8, verse 1. The grace of God given among the churches in Macedonia. And it set them first to give themselves to him in a service, a liturgy. And then to give themselves to others. Second. It's God's work. And it is glorious. And all credit is due to him. This is what he does and, and offers to us each and every day, not only in the realm of financial dealings, but in everything in life. God set up the world like this, and his call to us, his offer to us, is come and take part in this. If you're not a Christian, come and take part in my grace In the grace that offers Christ to set you free, come and take part in that. Find it. And if you are a Christian, like I know most of us are, come and take part in that. In the grace that, that he gave and gives 
and will give, turn to him and seek it. He'll give, he'll give, he'll give. Eyes open and heart changed so that I say, believing, you got me. I say, here, here's me on the altar, everything. That's going to include my wallet. But more than my wallet, it includes everything else. Here's me. Why would I do that? Because by grace, I see your gift to me first. And grace rests on me. And I trust you and love you. And in response to that, love. That you would see this Christian church, that you would see this and be drawn into it and drawn to trust it and revel in it and yourself lift up thanks and praise to him for what he's done and walk it out in faith day after day with your money and with everything. That you would see that, that would be awesome. A win for you. It's the path to rich life. It's the path to knowing God and walking with him. It's a win for you. And it's a win for everybody that you bless as you give away your life and your resources. It's a win and it's a win. And it's a win to the world as the world watches and says, that's a people different, interesting. Wow, could I have a part of that? Could I be like that? Could I be set free? Could I know that? All to the praise and glory of God. It's not just a win-win-win situation. It's actually a win-win-win-win situation. Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to be a part of that? So may God pour grace on us that we would be like the Macedonians then. Blessed with open eyes and open hearts, generous with open wallets, open calendar books, and open hearts. That's my hope and my prayer, that as I've preached this section, I've found myself thinking about money and generosity and giving, yeah, but about more than that, just that this is what grace does it makes a generous people. With money, yeah. But more than that, with other stuff, with our lives. It makes us a generous people. Don't you want to be a part of that? Well, let's ask God to bless us with such grace. You remember where we started in pointing out that it's technically grace given among the churches, people who are already saved. More grace. That's what we need is more grace. Not just saving grace, a, a new, a, an abundance of it. Let's ask him for that. Seek it and step into it in faith, knowing he has you. You're safe. You're loved. So you can give it all away. Let me pray towards that end. Pray with me. And I mean... Pray with me. Ask God, Lord, pour grace on our church. I want to be a part of that. Pour grace on our church and on me and move me in that direction. Be a generous, Christ-like giver of my life. Let's pray. God, would you cause this kind of grace to fall upon us? a renewing grace, a reviving grace, a stirring grace to fall upon us.
that me and each of my brothers and sisters here, our church as a whole, and maybe even those who don't yet know you, would all draw near to you in saving faith and then walk out life in generosity. Do that for us, please, Lord. We see the direction that you're pointing. Give us energy to walk that way. We see the beauty of your your giving nature. Give us grace that we may emulate it. Help. Move in us and change us. And thank you for the promise that you build your church. It's yours. You're responsible. So we ask you to do what is your job and what you have promised to do to grow us into maturity and make us like Jesus. So powerfully work we ask. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.